The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. This morning, we're in Ephesians 2. And I want us to think briefly for a moment about work. Pete's on sabbatical from work. Um, so we get to, different pastors get to come in and fill the pulpit. Um, work is a significant part of most of, really all of our lives. I get to be in a setting where I am with people who are preparing to go into the workforce. If you are pre-college this morning or in college, you think a lot about what you will do in work once you graduate. If you're post-college and still working, you spend a lot of your time working, even if it's not for pay. If you're in the home or volunteering in other ways, you spend a lot of time working. If you're retired, you've spent a lot of your time working, and you also, my guess is in a room like this, in a church, you work for non-pay volunteering in the church, serving in the community, caring for your family, but still working. But often, we incorporate the Protestant work ethic that makes our work so successful in the world. We incorporate that Protestant work ethic into our Protestant spirituality, and it becomes confusing as we understand grace. And this morning, that's what Paul is addressing in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. So we're going to read that and then consider um, what he's saying, what he's meaning. So this is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is God's word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Will you pray with me? Father, you promised to work through your Holy Spirit. And as we gather here this morning, uh, we come from different places in our week, in our summer in the chaos of our lives, in the joy of our lives. And we're looking for hope. We're looking for you to speak through your word. We bring other voices in our mind, in our hearts, in here that taunt us and haunt us. And we ask that you would speak more clearly through those. That as we try to listen this morning, you would speak to our minds and our hearts and begin to transform us. And you promised to do that. So will you do that? Will you use the Holy Spirit who inspired this word to be written, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of Christians, the Holy Spirit that has been in fellowship with you and the Son for all of eternity, would he speak to us this morning from your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
there was this little boy. He was rambunctious and curious and mischievous, and he was loved by his father. But he really struggled to know right from wrong, and he always seemed to be getting in trouble. You see, he had the conscience the size of a cricket, because his conscience was a cricket. It was Jiminy Cricket. Have you seen or when was the last time you saw Pinocchio, one of Walt Disney's first animated movies um, that he made in the 40s? Or have you read the story, the Italian story? It's the story of a wooden puppet carved by a loving woodworker. The woodworker Geppetto wants this son, and he wishes on a star that the puppet would become that son. And sure enough, the next morning when he wakes up, the puppet comes alive, and it's Pinocchio, and it's his son. But Pinocchio is not a real boy. And if you've watched Shrek, you know that no matter what, how much he says, I'm a real boy, <laughs> he's not actually a real boy. He's still a wooden puppet and happens to run around and act like a boy. But he's still a puppet. And through lots of mischief and disobedience, Pinocchio realizes that he cannot make himself alive as a real boy. He can't behave well enough. He can't fake it enough. He goes and tries to live a life filled with play and pleasure and no work ever on this special island. But he only keeps messing things up and making things worse. And at the best that he can do in transformation is become a donkey. But he cannot make himself alive as a real boy. When we're honest with ourselves, we know that we cannot work to make ourselves better and more alive. If you've been around Christianity very long, you've heard this. If you're new to Christianity or not a Christian here this morning, my guess is that you've experienced that as well. We can try and try, but so often we cannot not do the wrong thing. In the view of the Bible, in the view of God, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what this Ephesian passage says. We're like zombies walking around no matter how much we work, no matter how good we are, we cannot become alive out of our sin and out of our deadness. Our Protestant work ethic does not and cannot translate into a Protestant spirituality. We cannot work our way to success as we relate to God. In our own rebellion, we are dead, children of wrath deserving only God's wrath for our rebellion. All sin is rebellion, and that's what the Bible says. I know that's what you talk about here at Holy Cross regularly, and it deserves God's wrath. And wrath sounds like a scary word, but really wrath is God's holy anger poured out to destroy selfishness, because selfishness cannot stand in the presence of a self-giving God. It will be consumed. But because of Adam and Eve's rebellion... Everyone in the world, including you and me, is selfish and deserving of God's wrath. We're all dead. Like Pinocchio, like a zombie, none of us can work to make ourselves more alive and save ourselves. But God promised and promises hope. Look at verse 4 in this passage. How does it start? But God. These two words tell a lot. It's like there's this kid on an out-of-control bicycle heading for the edge of the Grand Canyon. He's heading to destruction. Then something from the outside comes and tackles him to keep him from plummeting to his death. Someone comes from the outside to rescue. 
but God. God intervenes, God steps in, God sets to work while we're headed to destruction. While we're still going full speed towards more death, but God. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's all because of who God is. God is generous in giving. And what he has to give cannot be measurable. It's immeasurable because it's so much. For those of you who grew up in the 90s or raised kids in the 90s, it's like Scrooge McDuck in the DuckTales cartoons in the opening scene swimming in the vault of his own riches. Because of his great love with which he loved us, what it means is God is motivated because he loves you and me. His love motivated him to work and motivates him to work on you, on your behalf. God is the great one who works by his grace, and he invites us to rest in his work through faith. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your undoing, it's the gift of God. Faith is like receiving gifts on your birthday. Yesterday, my family and I went to two different kids' birthday parties in two different places. And what did the birthday boy and birthday girl do to earn their gift? Nothing. They did no work to get their gift. They just laid hold of it and opened it and began to enjoy it. That's what faith is, opening and enjoying the work that God has done because he loves you. And so this morning, I want to talk about his work that he invites us to receive and open and rest in by faith. So we're going to talk about God's work in the past, in the present, and in the future. So we'll start in the past. I want us all to reach back into our minds, into our memories, some of us way back, some of us just a little bit. And I want you to remember when you were in middle school. If there's middle school in the room, you can help us out here. I want you to think of when you were learning to diagram sentences. Yay! When you were learning parts of speech and when you were learning verb tenses. And we're going to think about verb tenses as we read verse 5 and 6. So listen for verb tenses. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what are the verb tenses? Past tense. Past perfect if you want to be a little more technical. What the Bible is saying is that God, through Jesus, was at work for you and in you in the past. It's a done deal. You can't do anything about it. So what's the work that he did? First, he made us alive. He made you alive. So in the beginning of time, God worked in the garden. He formed Adam out of the dust. He made nostrils for him, and then he breathed life into him. And, just, and it was intimate. And just like that intimate breathing of life into Adam, God breathed new life into you. Past tense. You were dead, and now you're alive if you're a Christian here this morning. Saved. He saved you. He rescued you from his wrath. Our parachute failed, and we're hurtling 20,000 feet toward the ground of God's wrath. And like Iron Man rescuing people from a falling airplane, he keeps us from being smashed into his wrath. 
Jesus became smashed by God's wrath for you. We can never face God's wrath for anything because Jesus already faced it. Raised. You were raised with Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you if you're a Christian here this morning. Seated. You're seated with Christ. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone because you are Jesus' guest of honor at Jesus' party and you're at his table. Let's think about it this way. The Academy Awards happened several months ago, and I'm sure some of us watched it and some of us didn't. Most of us probably forgot what happened because it was a long time ago, it feels like. But every year, the invitations read about the same. This is how they read. You and a guest are cordially invited to attend the Academy Awards presentation immediately followed by the Governor's Ball, Sunday the 25th of February at 5 p.m., the Dolby Theater Hollywood in Highland Center, Hollywood, California. Now, I want you to imagine that you have a brother or a cousin who's up and nominated for Best Actor Award. And that brother calls you and wants to take you as his guest to the Academy Awards. And so he helps you buy some wonderful, beautiful clothing that you're going to wear. And then he comes, he doesn't just say, hey, meet me at the theater. He comes and picks you up here in Tucson in a private jet. You see, he missed the Christmas celebration with family because he was off some remote location shooting his next movie. And so he comes to get you, and as you are traveling to L.A., the short flight, he's talking with you, catching up, hearing how you're doing, how your family's doing, how your work's going, how your health is doing. And he's also sharing with you about the things that are going on in his life, the movies he's shooting, the people he's meeting. Then you land in L.A., and you go through the airport, and as you're going through, people are wanting his autograph, so he stops and obliges some, but he continues the conversation with you, his sister, his brother. You get in a limo, then you drive through L.A., you get to Hollywood outside of the Dolby Theater. Somewhere in there you've changed into your fresh, awesome clothes as well. The door's opened, and you step out on the red carpet, and he steps out before you, and you're walking together, and pictures are being taken, then you pose in front of the big panel with all the icons and things on it, and he wants you in the pictures because you're his guest, and you're special to him. And then you make it into the theater, you go to your reserved seats that the two of you are going to sit in, and camera angles throughout the night shine on both of you, the awards ceremony commences, and Time goes on, and, and then it gets to the climax of the moment of the night for the two of you, for, the, for him especially. The different nominees for Best Actor Award are read, and then there's a drum roll as they open the envelope. And it's your brother. He's announced as the best actor by the Academy for this past year for a movie that he made. And the camera angle looks at the two of you, and there's cheering and applause, and he gets up. After giving you a hug, he goes up to the podium. He receives the award. He gives thanks to many people. And then he looks at you, and he tells you how it is so special that you could be there with him that night. The rest of the ceremony unfolds, and you go to the governor's ball together. And he wants to keep you with him. He wants to keep you with him so he can celebrate with you. He's the winner, one of the big winners of the night. And he wants to introduce you to his friends, people that you see as just famous people, that he's friends with. 
So you meet different people, and eventually you sit down at this table, and you drink drinks and have refreshments. And all the while that you're sitting there, no one would question while you're there. Because you're your brother's guest of honor at this party. You wouldn't have to prove yourself to anyone. Because you're seated at his table. But it's even more rich in Christ. With Christ, you have all of these riches because in God's eyes, you are united with Christ. You've become one with Christ. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone that you're smart enough, that you're good enough. Your work doesn't define you. Your relationships don't define you. Your religious faithfulness doesn't define you. Your failures don't define you. Your sins don't define you. God defines you as his daughter or as his son, his friend. He's made you alive and welcomes you to his table. You don't have to work to make God happy with you. His wrath, his anger has been taken away. He delights in you. You don't have to perform or appear to be perfect. You don't have to have the pressure of being a big star because you know the biggest star in the universe. He loves you. You can actually enjoy working in the world and the places that he has placed you because he loves you. But God didn't just work on you in the past and then leave you to figure it out on your own. He works on our behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf in the present. Let's look at verse 5 again. It says, you were made alive together with Christ. If Christianity believes anything, it believes that Jesus is still alive. And that you're with him. And he's with you. Now look at verse 10. We, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God works on our behalf as we live our lives in response to his grace. It says that he's the master workman. You and I are his workmanship. Now, in the original language of the Bible, workmanship here means poetry or work of art. We here, if you're a Christian, you're his work of art. Not in the past, not in the future, but right now. Right now, you're his work of art. And he invites us to walk in the good works that he's prepared for us. He doesn't just abandon us to figure out how to live for him in the world. One thing, he gives us the Bible. He gives us the sacrament week after week. He gives us the church, Holy Cross, a community with small groups and a children's ministry. But in Ephesians 1, he promises something even more powerful that uses all of those things. He promises to give you And promises that you have his spirit. The spirit that has been with him for all of eternity. The workman who made you put the power of his spirit in you. That means that he's still at work in you. Because he's at work in you, the Bible promises in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So what God is promising to do is never stop his work in you because he loves you. He's like the master sculptor, honing and carving his masterpiece over time. Outsiders might look at it and see it that it's completely perfect and say, you can stop. 
it can be done. Other outsiders might look in and see all the imperfections and say, why keep going? I'm sure you've heard one of those things. But the master artist will not stop. He continues to work on it until it is absolutely perfect. This is what God is doing through you, uh, through his spirit and by his grace in you. Because he loves you. He continues to work in you by his grace. So what does this mean for you? As you get frustrated with your sins and your selfishness, remember that Christ is at work in you. As you want to grow in your faith and your ability to share the gospel and grow in your faith as you battle selfishness, he promises that he is doing it. When all the ugliness of your sin bubbles up and all the things that you're afraid that other people will judge you for, that they'll shame you for, when all of those things bubble up and accuse you in your conscience, actually be encouraged because he sees all those things. He knows all those things. And instead of running away, it motivates him to continue to work on you because he loves you. He invites us to rest in that promise through faith. God, through this passage, tells us that he did work in you And on your behalf right now, he's also at work in you. He also promises to be at work in you in the future. So why has God worked on you in the past and the present? He answers it in verse 7. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the coming age. When Christ returns to make everything new, God will display His work. It will be like during a parent-teacher night at your kid's elementary school. When parents come and see all the work that their kid has done over the past year so far, the work's on display. It's like when you were in high school not too long ago and your work of art was on display outside of the art room. It's like you as a child, maybe even last week, holding up the intricate Lego design that you made and displaying it to your parents. It's like you yesterday working in the morning before it got too hot, raking all the Palo Verde and the mesquite needles out of your yard, leaving smooth straight lines, or maybe cleaning out your pool to where it was sparkling clean, and you're sitting against the fence, having your morning cup of coffee with your neighbor and just enjoying the work that's complete. God is showing and displaying all the magnificence of his work through Christ. God is displaying the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He will show you how he rescued you from sin. How he made you alive. How he melted your heart to love. He will show you the natural gifts and skills, the things that he made you particularly good at. He'll show you the passions that he put in your heart that are helping you right now figure out where he's calling you, that helped you in the past figure out where he's called you. He'll show you the blessings of friendship and family that he's given you, the blessing of a church community where you can be yourself and grow and continue to grow. He'll show you how much he loves you as a father and how Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to make you his beloved daughter his beloved son, the son of the father, the daughter of the father. 
In other places in the Bible, Christ promises to come back to wipe away all of our sadness and all of our heartaches. And it says if he's doing the final preparations for a giant party that will show the immeasurable riches of his grace for you. And he wants you to remember. He wants you to see because he wants you to know just how much he loves you. How the God of the universe loves you. So why does this matter for us? Why does it matter as we enter the summer? As we take vacations from work? As we go on summer vacation from school? Because sometime in your life, maybe even this summer, you'll face the frustrations of the world around you. Bickering kids at home complications with your spouse, health complications, the death of a parent, the breakup of a relationship, the exposing of your own sin to other people. But God promises that there is nothing that will compare to the incredible party that waits. It's his party that celebrates his generosity and all the work that he's done, but it's a party that includes you. All the immeasurable riches of his grace and mercy will be on display. And he will wipe away all tears, sadness, frustration. And you will see just how much he loves you. Without a shadow of a doubt. And you and I will both see the immeasurable riches that God has poured out to work on you and me. And we will be able to overflow for him in singing and dancing and work. This is worship. That's what you are made for, and that's what will happen. If you're not a Christian here this morning, that's where history's headed. And so might I ask you to suspend your disbelief for a moment, your trust in other things, and consider the grandness of this story, the grandness of this promise that you are longing for. God will work to make everything and everyone, including you, the way it's supposed to be. Pinocchio. Pinocchio couldn't make himself alive as a real boy. What happened? What had to happen? Something from the outside had to come in. The blue fairy had to come from the outside and transform him. him, transform him. Despite all of his mistakes, all of his disobedience, all of the hardship, she comes from the outside and transforms him. And he comes alive as a real boy with a real father. That's the story of Christianity. But God is the fairy who transforms. He comes from the outside. He enters in. He makes dead people alive and raises them up and seats them at his dinner table. He's the worker who comes to the rescue. He makes us, he makes you his daughter, you his son. And he invites us to live in the freedom of his daughters and sons. Loving and serving him as we serve other people in the world through our work, through our families, through our ministries. So will you remember that with me this morning? Will you open that gift up even just a little bit more and begin to enjoy it and live in that freedom? Will you rest in it? That you and I might go out into the world serving God and other people empowered by that knowledge, empowered by his spirit that dwells inside of you, knowing that he loves you and there's nothing that can separate you from that love. The love that he did in the past, that he's doing right now in the present, and he promises to show in the future.